0: Well, we're in the, the fifth week of a series we've titled Bless, really how to bless your neighbor. And it's a practical series. We're trying to give you tools to best carry out the mission God has for us. Uh, kind of to get us started before we even look at the particular tool we're going to be looking at, kind of the skill we want to build today, I want to take you back to this last week for me. I've had an opportunity to be with some pastors uh, in smaller group settings, one together in a room and another through uh, through a you know, an online engagement, uh, just hearing what's going on and everyone everywhere in the country is sharing the same things, just kind of how tiring and overwhelming this time is. And I don't think that's any different if you're not leading a church, just in life, we're all facing it. In fact, we got to this point as we were talking about it in one of our times where it kind of played out that it was right now feels like a negative interruption. Now, everything's difficult about it, and it's interrupting life the way we want it, and many of us just want to go back to, can you get rid of this negative interruption and bring us back to life? As we're talking about this, one of the kind of elders in the conversation, a man who's planted, I think, 2,000 churches, been all sorts of involvement in leading and loving people, just calmly says, you know, I think we see this incorrectly, thinking of it as a negative interruption. And he said, I want you to see it as a positive disruption. And then he explained that. He said, we see it negatively, and rightly so. There's a lot of painful things going on, but we don't see the positive that God wants to do in it. And then we see it as an interruption, meaning I wanna get back to how life is, and I want you to see it as a disruption, because I think God wants to do something new and shake us loose. What if we saw it as a positive disruption? How can we live differently, and what's God doing in this? And it shifted the interaction and really shifted for me while I think I know that in my mind, something turned. And I I guess I begin there because while we're talking about some practical ways to bless your neighbor, I want to be very clear that I think God is disrupting us, or allowing the disruption. I don't wanna say he's causing all of it to happen the way it does, but I think he's doing something in us and through us that can be profound if we'll let it be new instead of try to go back. So with that in mind, before we even get into the detail of this, I want to take us to some words from Jesus. This is at the end of John's account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He's now risen, and he has this calling to his disciples that he makes, a really simple statement, if you will. He says, peace be with you, meaning after all that's happened, let me give you a sense of wholeness and life and goodness. And make no mistake, this doesn't mean the absence of strife. Jesus is saying, may you have peace in the midst of this turbulent world. That's part of what Jesus offers through his resurrection. But then he says these even more significant words, as the father has sent me, I am sending you. We began a few weeks ago with Jesus' words, follow me, meaning come alongside, I'm the rabbi, let me teach you. Now Jesus is saying, I am sending you. And oftentimes in the church, we view this in a very narrow bandwidth. Sending means you're a missionary and you go to a foreign land and you do a new work that's exclusively being a missionary. You abandon your own vocation. You abandon other ways of living, which is a calling that can happen. But Jesus here is saying it to all of his followers, I'm sending you. And what I want us to consider, maybe a positive disruption, is what God's doing is sending us back into the world we live in, in a new way. Maybe today you're an engineer. You work at a company nearby, but God is actually sending you into that place to be his very presence and ambassador, not simply to do your job, but to be led by him in what you do. Maybe you work in some kind of IT department and God's sending you back into that. Maybe you're a teacher and God is sending you into that. Maybe in your own home life, in your family, God's sending you into that. Maybe you're a doctor or a nurse or a technician and God is sending you wherever you are in your business, in your management, in your leadership, in your, just your job as a worker, wherever you go, God is sending you. What would it be if it were a new disruption for you and I to see ourselves as people deployed, not people that come to church and get fed and then go kind of bring Jesus alongside the rest of our life and say, do kind of work for me, Lord, in the things I need. But we hear the words, I'm yours, send me. That's where we begin. And in fact, we say that about our very mission. We say we're to be radically loving and growing together in Christ. It simply means the more we discover Jesus' love, the more we take it with us wherever he sends us to help others discover it. And the simplest way you and I live this out is by becoming people that bless our neighbors, that we actually bless the people around us. Now, we have made this very clear from the beginning. A neighbor is a much broader term than simply the people that live around you. We began in this series with the overview that when God makes Abram be the beginning of this great nation, he says, I'll bless you that you'll bless others. In other words... I'm going to move in your life so you can pass on what I give to you. And what we've said is, how do we become that? How do we become sent people that really live out the radical love of Jesus to those around us? And we're practicing these skills. So the week after that, in the second week, we looked at this idea of beginning with prayer. And make no mistake, one of the centerpieces we got at with the idea of praying is that we're asking God to move, but we define our neighbor by these five letters. We call it a frank list. In fact, if you don't have one, we would say go online, allshores.org slash bless. In there, you'll see a little download of a little card that is a frank list. And all that stands for are different ways to understand your neighbor. F stands for your friends. Who are your friends who don't follow Jesus, that you can begin to pray for. R is for your relatives. Who in your family do you pray for? A are your acquaintances, those that you've come to know, but not that close to yet. Who are your actual neighbors? That's what N is. And make no mistake, we have lost touch with our very neighborhoods. And then C are your colleagues, the people you work with. In essence, we began by praying. And what we said was when we pray, God moves. And also when we pray, he changes us. In other words, our very disposition to those around us changes as we pray for them. And the more we get to know, the more it changes how we pray. The next week, we looked at the idea of listening, learning to listen to them, the second skill in our toolbox. And we made it very clear that we often listen so we can reply. We listen to connect to stories of ourselves. We listen to tell things about ourselves. The call here is to listen to help them be known. That in other words, when we listen, we really listen to who they are and what's going on. And two things happen. They experience the love and connection to us and we actually have our hearts grow for other people because we learn who they are and see them as Jesus does. And then last week, we talked about my all-time favorite that we get to eat together. I told you I am built for this. It goes well. The idea that as you share a meal, you bring the kingdom. And we looked at the profound nature of how Jesus engaged in eating together, the role in scripture of it, and what happens when we sit across a table and encouraged you all week to invite someone to a meal. And then in this week, we're going to look very simply at this idea of serving others, serving out of love, this call we have as followers of Jesus to serve people. Now, I'm curious just for a minute to maybe think, if I say you're here to serve others, maybe you're thinking of excuses. I have someone that I built up already. I have a good arsenal of excuses, of reasons I don't serve. As a child, I remember I used to be my job to do the dishes regularly in the family. That's how I served our family. And then I got a job as a dishwasher. So when I came home, I said to my parents, I'd really like to help you, but I'm a professional now. I can't really do this on a volunteer basis anymore. And my mom interestingly said, well, that's interesting that you're a professional. There's some things we're professional about here too. And that shifted everything and I went back to serving. You know, we all have ways out of it, don't we? One of my kids, one of my favorite ones growing up that he, uh, he did that, it narrows down to three of them because I only have one daughter, but uh, he would sit in, we were watching TV or something. He would wait till someone else got up and then once they got up, he'd say, hey, do you mind getting something for me while you're up anyway? Like he was a master at figuring out how to help us serve him, which I did not take kindly to. Now, I'm curious for you what might be some of your excuses you use not to serve. In fact, if you're watching online, you can get in the chat, and I'd like you to, actually to share some of your best ways to justify not serving. Now, here you'll just have to think about it. You, I mean, you could turn to somebody, but don't. Just think about it. I'll give you some of mine. You might even share some of them. This is one I can use if someone, if I'm called to serve. I don't have time. I'd really like to help you, but I'm a busy man with a lot of responsibilities, That's a good one, isn't it? Works well. It's not the only one you need, though. Have you ever read this one? I'd like to serve you, but you seem like you really need to do some work, and I don't want to enable your bad behavior. That's the social work one that I use when I pull that one out, which I'm not very met with very positive things, as I already heard in the room, wow, like you are seriously a problematic dude, and I am. There are other ones we use, things like it's not my gift. I know you'd like toilets clean, but I'm really not that good at it. I don't really have the skills for that. Can you think of some other ones? Maybe you got them on your own. I mean, we have all sorts of things. I don't do it because you don't seem to be appreciative, and I don't think it really helps you. We can list time after time after time all the excuses we have not to serve other people. Fascinating as we look through the generations, and one of the highlights of the younger generation is there's a much Much stronger desire to serve, which is great, and I want to celebrate that. What's interesting to find, and it's not exclusive to the younger generation, but it's true of most of us, most of us like to serve as long as we get something for it. Meaning it could be affirmation, it could be recognition, it could be an actual response. But we have the idea that serving is good as long as it doesn't take advantage of me and as long as it's not too much. Now, I say that because we're going to mess with it today. Well, Jesus is going to mess with it. So we're going to take you to really a very important part of Jesus' story, of a very important part of history when he's hanging out with his closest disciples. If you haven't been with us at all in this series, a few messages ago, we looked at this moment when Jesus brings them together, each calling them. He calls some people out that nobody else thought he should, and he'll say these simple words, follow me. Just come and follow me. So they spend their life following him, not just hearing his teachings, but living the way he lives, responding to how he lives. They act the same way. That's how rabbi and disciple is. We're now in this unique room. The Passover is being celebrated and Jesus knows he's about to go to be crucified. They're going to come and get him. The, The team doesn't know it yet, but he's in this meal with them together, this unique meal called the Passover. And so he's talking to them during this meal and while it's in progress. I want you to see some things that are going on around it. It tells us that the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus, and Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returning to God. In other words, he had all the power and he was going to go be restored to how he always has had it through all of eternity. Now, there's a couple of pieces to understand in this that before we even get into what he does. One is in his midst is a betrayer, Judas. Jesus is about to tell us something to do in the midst of someone who not only will not respond well, will actually want to take him out. I want you to consider that because you're going to be tempted to go, I'll serve people as long as they're on my team. Why would I ever serve anybody that might harm or betray me? Yet what Jesus is about to say, he does in the context of betrayal. The other is that Jesus has all this power at his disposal. I am going to ask in this room, and you can just kind of do it in your your mind at home or even with those around you, raise your hand. If any of you have ever had power, do you ever enjoy the power and want to take advantage of it? Have you ever been tempted to take advantage of the power you have? Raise your hand. Maybe I should say, have any of you never had any power and you just go, thank you, I'd like to have some, but no one gives it to me? I like power. It's not a good thing. I'm not proud of this. But I find myself tempted when someone moves against the power or authority I have to let them know that ain't going to work here. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but I want you to understand Jesus has the power of heaven at his disposal, he has a betrayer in his midst. This is a sacred time as they're celebrating the Passover. It is a meal that they remember how Israel was in bondage to Egypt and God freed them ultimately through the sacrifice of these lambs, the bloodshed of a lamb, to take them from bondage to freedom. And what's about to happen is Jesus is about to actually be the physical lamb that will be sacrificed for the sins of any who will respond that they can walk in freedom. It's it's a beautiful finality to what happened in part before. Sacred time. And this is what Jesus then goes on to say and do right here. So he gets up from the meal. While it's still going on, he takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, if you've been around church, you know this is called the foot washing. And in fact, we hear stories about it. If you've been involved even in probably youth events or even sometimes in church, we'll have a foot washing time. I wanna take it though further than that for us and the very picture of what this is. It's interesting that Jesus takes a towel and then wraps it around his garment this way. While it's not written in scripture, there's a thing called a midrash, which is basically how the Israelites understood the stories of scripture, it's oral tradition. It means they tell stories to explain stories. One of them, whether it even is a fair assumption that it happened, would have been a common understanding in Jesus' day, is a story where Abram, Abram and Sarah are supposed to have a kid and change the world through it. They get impatient, and so she gets him, convinces him to sleep with his concubine, and they have a, he have a child with her, Hagar. At a horrible moment in all this, Sarah convinces him, and they send Hagar away, which is a whole other story to get into, how God meets people in the horror of what they go through. But along the way, when they tell this story, it was common understanding, it was believed that Abram took a towel and put it around Hagar. And the reason was, it was an image that she was now a slave. So when Jesus takes the towel and puts it around him, it's not just, I'm your servant. It's, I'm a slave. I am the servant. I am the least I am here for you in a way that not only doesn't add dignity, it's going to go back to some of the most horrific stories of your past, who all of them hate being servants and slaves because it represents Egypt. And that's the picture I'm about to give you. I'm going to wash your feet to show you how the king of the universe, the one who has great power and even in the midst of a betrayer, is going to be a servant to all of you. Now, what follows is that he and Peter get into quite an exchange. I, I love Pete because he just vomits in the mouth and never thinks about it, you know. I have great empathy for that because I say, you ever say something, you're just like, I wish I could pull that back, but I can't now. He's like a walking image of this. So in this moment, he goes, oh, Jesus, you can't do this. Let me wash your feet. And they says, Jesus tells him he's going to do it. And he goes, well, then don't just wash my feet. Wash all of me. She's like, Pete, settle down. It's not, how he, not the actual quote, but it's what it means. Settle down, dude. I don't need to watch all of you. You're already clean. What I'm about to do is going to make you clean. Just let me wash your feet and serve you. And then he says to all of them, hey, you call me Lord and teacher, and you should call me that. But as your Lord and teacher, I'm going to serve you this way. I'm going to put a towel around me and be a slave. And then he says, now you go and do the very same thing. I hope you hear this. This should be a positive disruption because what we like to make Jesus is kind of our buddy that comes alongside us. He forgives us, but then he helps us to live this simple life that we do what we want, how we want, when we want. As long as it doesn't offend him, we're good. It's not what Jesus calls us to. You do what I've done. Just as I've given myself to the Father, now you do this in a new way. And make no mistake, this isn't the first time Jesus has spoken like this. They get in a place where they all want to be in power and have leadership in another setting. And he says this, hey, you know that the rulers and the Gentiles loaded over them, that their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, you guys know how this works in life. We all look to have authority and power to accomplish something to be well thought of and have more go our way that we may be served. In other words, we use it and we say, I'm doing it for the better good, but we want to advance ourselves. And then Jesus throws an amazing wrench in this moment, just like he does with the towel. And he says very simply to them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, which can also, by the way, be translated slave. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. There it is. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I don't know if you're like me, but I look at Judas with a lot of disdain because of his betrayal. And I kind of think, well, Jesus served other people because they wanted him. It's not true. You see, Jesus comes to serve and the ultimate service of sacrificing his life, of being the slave on our behalf to die our death, that his resurrection might bring new life to us when we're rebellious. In other words, you and I have more in common with Judas than anyone else, but we like to think that we don't. I I want you to receive it this way. I'm not trying to be harsh to us, but we tend to dismiss our own brokenness and we're more than happy to apply it to someone else. And I don't want you to dismiss your brokenness. I want you to embrace it. But I want you to embrace that the God of the universe loves you so much loves me so much that he reaches into that place and says, I will serve you by ransoming my life for you in your rebellion, not in your goodness, which never would be enough. That is profound. I don't want us to miss it. Those of us who follow Jesus, we often love little because we don't really get that. Those of us who don't, We're missing out on the greatest gift of all of of eternity, which is God saying, listen, I love you in the darkest place of your life and all the things you wanna do against me. And you're sitting around the table and wanting to rebel. I take a towel and I serve you and that towel will become a cross. And I will set down my crown as king and I will put on a crown of thorns, which by the way, the crown of thorns represents the curse of the earth. Jesus takes on in his slavery the curse of the earth and makes that right the same way he makes right the curse of death. Come on. Man, that's awesome. That's powerful, and that's amazing. That's what he's saying. He's picturing to us that we're to live a life of serving in a new way. You want to know what he's saying? He's saying, grab a towel. Man, just grab a towel and ask the people around you, how can I serve you? That's the way of Jesus. That's the way of living a new life. And Paul, the early church leader, says it the very same way in his own words. Hey, my brothers and sisters, you're called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge your flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And I can't help but think this has great application in our world today because we are fighting constantly about our own freedoms. It's an argument, it's contention But we have missed the fact that as followers of Jesus, any freedom we have is used to let go of and serve people. (laughs) Jesus didn't free us so we just have an easy life to do what we want. He freed us to become his. And make no mistake, we serve out of gratitude, not of obligation. When we really see what he's done, we want to live a different way because this is the reality. When you live for your own freedom for yourself, it will never give you what you want, ever. The only freedom is found in serving him. And I love it because he doesn't just say serve humbly. He says do it in love, that we learn to love other people when we serve them this way. there's something that shifts in us when we take a life of serving, not a life of demanding. It's simple, grab a towel and ask how I can serve you. And, and make no mistake, I'm not even asking you to figure out that you're the servant of everyone else. You're the servant of Jesus. That's what all of our early disciples say, I'm a servant of the most high God. And what you and I are learning to do is hear God's voice and how we serve others. And make no mistake, everything we're teaching in this series will help you. Do you think if you begin to pray that God's gonna start showing you how to serve the people you're praying for? But the answer is yes, just checking. Do you think if you learn to listen, you're gonna actually hear what matters to them and you might learn how to serve them better? Do you think when you sit around the table and eat with them, you're gonna hear more about who they are and you might learn to better serve them in new ways? You bet you are. But make no mistake, God will give you thoughts and ideas of how to serve people. And what we tend to do is we doubt God. I'll tell you a story back from my History, uh, just one that 's always stayed with me, uh, I would regularly just be in quiet i 'd be asking God, how can I better serve my family and my wife, the people around me and uh, one morning, I get this thought, clean the toilets i 'm thinking that is horrible thought it 's definitely not God, and I had lots of reasons to believe it wasn 't, or at least I told myself now i 've done lots of things to serve my wife. I encourage her, I tell her how great she is i I like to do all sorts of things. I, tell, I serve her the way I would like to be served, in a sense. My wife cares about loving acts. When I cleaned those things without being asked, she hadn't said a word to me about it, I think she might have had a cardiac event. It was somewhat shocking for her. But I discovered what it meant to her, and it reminded me, I'm not too worried if I get it wrong. If God's telling me to serve people, something good's gonna happen. If I just start asking God how I can serve the people around me, I think something will shift. And this is what I found with my friends who I pray for and love, my family who I pray for and love, my acquaintances I pray for and love, that I'm finding the more I know them, the better tuned in I am to how God might call me to serve them. One of my friends, uh, we've begun to build friendship around some family things and I've learned that we talk together about what it's like in this phase of life. And God invites me to serve in that way and helping to talk and listen. I have another friend who is dealing with some significant work issues and just wanted to get together to have a voice, to have somebody to listen to. And when I am serving in that way, I'm not looking at my schedule going, well, when it works for me, I'll do it. And I've actually done some things to help people physically, though I always caution them, I have the skills of no one. But as long as it's skill-free, I can help you. And I'm glad to do it. Because Jesus said, man, grab a towel, ask how you can serve the people around you. And make no mistake, just your posture of helping people will dramatically influence them, will help them to discover the love of Jesus and you will see them as Jesus calls you to, people that are to be honored and loved by him. You become his hands and feet when you learn how to serve others in their circumstances. That's what God's inviting us to do, grab a towel, ask how you can serve, become a servant of Jesus in life, not one who looks for freedom so you can do it your own way, but who sets aside your freedom so you can serve humbly those around you in love, that you hear the words of Jesus, I'm sending you, I'm sending you back into the world you already live in, but to live in it in a new way deployed for me, not looking and saying, well, when I get to church, I can do this. Well, in the building, I'll do this. I'll do the Christian things, but to actually live as his followers in the way of Jesus, moment by moment, day by day, relationship by relationship. I'm telling you, God will change the world through a bunch of servants. He will not change the world through people demanding and fighting and arguing and hating. God's calling us to love our neighbors in new ways. All of them. Let me pray for us. Lord, I ask that you would meet each person here where they need you today. Lord, I pray we would have a deeper understanding of what you've done for us, taking on the character of a servant and dying our death, that we would live a new life. God, I thank you for the way you've modeled for us washing, your closest friend's feet, and telling us to go and serve others the same way. And I'm just asking that you'd be whispering and prompting each one of us to take a chance and serve people around us. I'm praying you'll change our hearts that will want to, not be obligated to. And Lord, I am praying that you would move among us to change the world through a bunch of nobodies that just love people around them, friends, relational, family, acquaintances, neighbors colleagues, all of it. Move among us now in your name. Amen.